Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. Uh, A Russian submarine called Poseidon with nuclear tsunami technology has vanished. We've discussed Poseidon on this show before, as it has been discussed being used against Great Britain on Russian state television. This nuclear mega torpedo is unique in the history of the world. Poseidon is a completely new category of weapon. It will reshape naval planning in both Russia and the West, leading to new requirements and new counterweapons. NATO has warned its members that Belgorod has left its perch in the Arctic Harbor. Be one of the largest submarines in the world and entered service back in July. NATO officials reportedly believe it could be headed to the Kara Sea for testing, normally known as the K-329 Belgorod. The submarine has been described as the epitome of a new concept of warfare. News of Belgorod's disappearance comes amid heightened concerns that the Kremlin is eyeing its nuclear weapons as it suffers setbacks in Ukraine. Recent footage shared on a pro-Russian telegram channel showed a train transporting advanced military gear that belongs to the 12th Main Directorate, which helps maintain Moscow's nuclear stockpile. Last month, Putin sent much of the West into a frenzy, when he vowed to defend the territorial integrity of our motherland by all the means at our disposal. Remarks that were widely interpreted as a nuclear threat. What's that old saying? A cornered dog will bite? If the reports of Russia's pending failure are real, my guess is that we will only see an escalation from this point moving forward, and that's frightening. It feels eerily similar to what I imagine the Cuban Missile Crisis looked like, and I don't have a shred of confidence in our commander-in-chief. At the same time that Russia has a nuclear submarine disappear, Kim Jong-un says, hold my beer. North Korea has fired what appears to be a ballistic missile over Japan. The country's Ministry of Defense uh, notified everyone yesterday that the apparent ballistic missile was launched at 7.22 a.m. local time and passed over Japan at 7.29 a.m. The Japanese um, defense ministry is who announced it. The government of South Korea confirmed that the Japanese government warned citizens to take shelter. The missile likely flew over Japan, but it's still unknown whether the missile fell into the ocean. A U.S. defense official confirmed to ABC News that North Korea launched a ballistic missile over Japan, but did not offer other specifics. The office of the Japanese Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, has begun to gather members to analyze the situation. A government spokesperson said no damage has been reported so far and a search is underway for debris. Officials are gathering information and will work with South Korea and the United States. Uh, The spokesperson said North Korea's actions threaten Japan and the international community. Missile launches like this go against the UN resolutions. Japan will launch a strong protest against North Korea in light of this. All new information will be shared promptly. 
The last time a missile flew over Japan was August of 2017. This year alone, North Korea has shot 21 ballistic missiles and two cruise missiles. Have y'all ever seen a rubber band stretched too far? It turns white right before it snaps and breaks. That is what I feel like our foreign policy looks like right now. To put this in perspective, we started this administration a little over two years ago with an abysmal withdrawal in Afghanistan. We are currently courting Iran for their Iran nuclear deal while their own people are revolting against them. We're sending buku boatloads of money and military supplies to Ukraine in an effort to fight Russia. China is dancing like a ballerina around Taiwan while we're committing to full-out war with them, or to defend Taiwan. North Korea is partying like a rock star, shooting missiles around like a 10-year-old that discovered the model rocket aisle at Hobby Lobby. Meanwhile, we have a president asking for dead congresswomen to stand up like the real Slim Shady and be recognized. While I concede that we have the world's greatest fighting force in our militaristic capability, the sharks are swimming and Joe Biden is a woman on her period. Speaking of Biden, he has confirmed that he will run for president again in 2024. Biden made the remark while posing for a photograph at the White House with Al Sharpton. I'm going to do it again, Biden reportedly said while standing with Sharpton, confirming reports from Biden allies who have said he will run again. Biden made the remark after Sharpton reminded him about a conversation the two had had a, month, a few months before Biden declared his 2020 candidacy. When Biden was seeking Sharpton's, Sharpton's endorsement, though a summer survey showed Democrats would prefer a different candidate in 2024, with many citing Biden's age and job performance, the party establishment is prepared to stand behind Biden. Uh, Biden's the one that can say, I already slayed the dragon and I'll slay him again. That was said by a presidential historian, Douglas Brinkley. Um, echoing comments that several Democrats in Congress have made. So, someone owes me jelly beans. Nearly everyone in the United States can expect to pay significantly more, often hundreds of dollars, on their heating and energy bills this winter, fueled by a global energy crisis and the fastest growing inflation in 40 years. Some 53 point, or I'm sorry, 55.3 million Americans struggled to afford their energy bills in 2021, and it's likely many millions more will face a crunch this year. Experts say the patchwork of assistance programs across the country may not have the funding to deal with an uptick in demand. Heating bills are expected to increase by 17% across the country, costing about $177 more on average and reaching the highest cost in more than a decade, according to a report by the National Energy Assistance Directors Association. They estimate that American households will pay $22 billion more in heating costs this winter than in the 2021-2022 season. For families that use natural gas for heating, roughly half of U.S. households, costs are expected to rise $243, up 34%, with bills hitting $952 on average. Households that use heating oil may see costs rise $239, or up 13%, to $2,115 on average. 
propane-heated households could pay $241 more, or up to 15%, to $1,828 on average. Homes that get their heat from electrical, the electrical grid could see a more modest cost increase, up $86 or 7% to $1,328. Most energy companies have already sent notices to customers about the upcoming price increase, but for some middle and lower income families, the burden could be too much. Why are heating costs going up so much, you ask? Well, According to this article, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is likely the main source of rising heating costs. But other factors could be at play, too. Electric companies used up a significant amount of their natural gas reserves this summer to power air conditioning, and the supply hasn't been able to keep up with demand. It couldn't be because we took it upon ourselves to blacklist Russia while simultaneously depleting our strategic petroleum reserves and refusing to drill domestically, could it? Surely not. They go on to say that even though you silly Americans may experience some pain of higher heating costs, most of Europe is in far worse shape. UK residents are expected to see an 80% spike in their energy bills in October, while natural gas heating is projected to cost 67% more in Germany. In an extremely disappointing decision, the Supreme Court on Monday rejected a new effort to expand gun rights by declining to hear a challenge to bump stocks. The decision did not the decision not to hear the two related cases, a blow for gun rights activists leaves the ban in place. The conservative majority court issued a major ruling in June that expanded gun rights. Although the legal issues in the bump stock cases were different. Bump stocks are accessories, such as for for weapons like the AR-15. In a rare example of a Republican administration taking action on gun control, administration imposed the ban after a mass shooting in Las Vegas in 2017, when Stephen Paddock used bump stocks to open fire on a country music festival, killing 58 people. Paddock died by suicide as he was about to be apprehended. The ban, implemented by the ATF, went into effect in 2019 after the Supreme Court declined to block it. Since then, the court has tilted further to the right, with conservative Justice Amy Coney Barrett, a Trump appointee, replacing liberal Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died in 2020. This is a huge disappointment. Perhaps we should just request to repeal the NFA, and while we're at it, Can we defund the ATF? Because they have so much credibility, I feel it prudent to let you know that the FBI released a statement indicating they have identified no credible threats to the U.S. election systems despite persistent efforts by foreign adversaries, including Russia, to amplify disinformation about voter fraud and election integrity. A month before the anticipated midterm vote, The officials said they were closely monitoring potential threats to election workers in the United States after local officials reported a wave of harassment and abuse before and after the contentious 2020 presidential election. Since June of 2021, the Federal Elections Threat Task Force has reviewed more than 1,000 reports. About 11% of those met the threshold for federal investigation, so far resulting in 
for arrests. The bulk of the potentially criminal threats involved election workers in seven states, Arizona, Georgia, Colorado, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Wisconsin, where the vote was close and involved post-election challenges. In August, Director Christopher Wray expressed a deep concern for rising violence driven by an array of domestic grievances, from election-related disputes to lingering anger following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. At the time, Ray called election and politically motivated violence almost a 365-day phenomenon, an outgrowth of the country's deep divide of the Supreme Court's abortion decision. He said tensions continue to run high. On Monday, the FBI official said there was no evidence that election systems had been targeted by a cyber campaign aimed at disrupting operations or manipulating results. A significant compromise of such decentralized local election systems in the country would be very difficult, the officials said. Still, authorities were tracking attempted efforts by Russia, China, and Iran to wage their own attempts at sowing distrust and promoting conspiracy theories aimed at disrupting the vote. Russia, the official said, has done the most to amplify the message of so-called election deniers. While the officials did not single out primary sources of such activity in the United States, President Donald Trump has openly waged a campaign of denying the legitimacy of the 2020 election, falsely claiming widespread voter fraud. While saying no to cases like the bump stock ban and Biden's vaccine mandate, yesterday the Supreme Court waltzed into the politically divisive issue of whether tech companies should have immunity over problematic content posted by users. Agreeing to hear a case alleging that YouTube helped aid and abet the killing of an American woman in the 2015 Islamic State terrorist attacks in Paris. The family of Nohemi Gonzalez, one of 130 people killed in a series of linked attacks carried out by ISIS, argued that YouTube's active role in recommending videos overcomes the liability shield for internet companies that Congress imposed in 1996 as part of the Communications Decency Act. The provision, Section 230 of the Act, says internet companies are not liable for content that users post because they're platforms. So they want it one way, not to be liable, but they also want to be able to censor you, like a publication. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Either you are a platform and you are not liable, or you are a publisher and you can editorialize speech. It has come under heavy scrutiny from the right and left in recent years, with conservatives claiming that companies are inappropriately censoring content and liberals saying social media companies are spreading dangerous right-wing rhetoric. The provision leaves it to companies to decide whether certain content should be removed and does not require them to be politically neutral. The stakes could be enormous because recommendations are now the norm for online services, not just YouTube. Apps such as Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, long ago began to rely on recommendation engines or algorithms to decide what people see most of the time, rather than emphasize chronological feeds. 
NetChoice, a trade group for tech corporations, says the industry needs as much flexibility as possible to decide what to take down or leave up. Without moderation, the internet will become a content cesspool filled with vile content of all sorts, making it easier for things like terrorist recruitment. In a separate move, the court said Monday it would hear a related appeal brought by Twitter about whether the company can be liable under a federal law called the Anti-Terrorism Act, which allows people to sue people or entities who aid and abet terrorist attacks. The same appeals court that handed the Gonzalez case revived claims by relatives of Naris Alasaf, a Jordanian citizen killed in an Islamic attack in Istanbul in 2017, who accused Twitter, Google, and Facebook of aiding and abetting the spread of militant Islamic ideology, which the company denies. The questions of Section 230 immunity have not yet been addressed in that case. Twitter's lawyers said in a court papers that the company provides generic, widely available services to billions of users who allegedly include some supporters of ISIS, and that it has regularly enforced policies preventing terrorists from using its services. The ruling in Twitter in the Twitter matter will also affect the claims against Facebook and Google in the same case. The Supreme Court has previously declined to take up cases about Section 230. Justice Clarence Thomas has criticized it, citing tech giants' market power and influence. Another related issue likely to head to the Supreme Court concerns the law Republicans enacted in Texas that seeks to prevent social media companies from barring users who make inflammatory political comments. On September 16th, a federal appeals court upheld that law, which we've discussed on here, which the Supreme Court prevented in May from going into effect. As a free speech absolutist, y'all know how I feel about these cases, and I'm watching them very closely. I will definitely keep you apprised of all of the goings-on with the cases as they move through the docket. That is your Tuesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Thank you guys for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.